Good morning, Oakwood. How are you? So we take a moment for missions to talk to you about some of the great work that uh, the people that we're supporting are doing um, so that you get to know them, right? Um, in order for you to partner with them and have them uh, be more effective, you've got to know a little bit about them. So we've got a, a bit of a call to action. Um, today we're talking about Tim and Martha Matsky in the Solomon Islands. Um, but we want you to be in prayer for what they're doing. God's doing the work. Um, we're just calling you to be in partnership with them, um, both in prayer and support. Bruce talked earlier about giving, and I think at the end you'll see how those dollars are getting put to great use in God's kingdom. Um, so they have been doing um, just some amazing work. We thought that we knew what they, they were doing, and they visited a, a while back, and we just got to know about the excitement level Um of the education programs that, that they're doing. Um, you can click to the next slide. Um, it's a, a multilingual education where they are teaching uh, not not only the, uh, the the village leaders, but the educate the educators in the country. They're holding training sessions for them. And one of the um, things that they're doing, uh, they're even reaching out to the deaf community uh, so that it can be a more effective in how they, uh, how they teach. Um, and what they're doing is they are going into the villages and teaching in the native language instead of just going automatically to uh, English as like the, the common language. They are teaching in the first uh, language of these communities to the children so that as the kids learn about Jesus and come back and talk to their families, the the families can understand because um, they're they are uh, being reinforced in that in that first language. So the kids are teaching the families. Families are spreading to the communities. Communities re- reaching out to to the whole country and so on. So um, our our request is that you earnestly pray for uh, Tim as um, as he leads that translation team, um, and then. Um, and also just their effectiveness in uh, in how that that reaches out. Um, and uh, next slide will cover some. Uh, uh, I guess some uh, one thing maybe I missed is they're actually going to a conference in October. Um, it's a national conference for other missionaries that are, are taking this. Um, uh, a color book guide that Martha uh, has prepared as an effective tool uh, for not just using words, but but word images and, and symbols to, to teach. And so they're not only being effective where they're serving in the Solomon Islands, but other missionaries across the country. So um, it, it's an amazing thing. And let me just uh, lead us into prayer right now for them specifically. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to um, be part of your work and to support Tim and Martha and what they're doing. I pray that um, in, in all their work, Lord, that you make it effective, that you uh, um, help them to send your word into to people that don't know or have not heard about you, um, that lives are changed, that uh, um, communities are changed. And we thank you, Lord, for um, for what you do and the fact that we get to uh, see uh, the glory of uh, of what you can do in the world. I pray all this in Jesus' name.
Ephesians. Everybody doing okay this morning? Man, technology drives me crazy. I'm, I'm so thankful. We are so blessed. I mean, we have so many things. It's a beautiful place. We have a building. We have equipment. But sometimes, don't you just miss, like, sitting around a campfire and being able to just talk? I mean, it is crazy, all the stuff they have me wired up to just to, to play in the team. I feel like I'm... Uh, you remember the old story of the, the old-time preachers? They used to have lapel mics. You remember what I'm talking about? They used to clip right here. But before they were wireless, they had to wire them to a wired mic. And there's a story about a young boy at a revival, and the preacher's up there, and he's, you know, he's all wired in, but he's got the wire going, and he's stepping on it, he's throwing it to the side, and he's getting excited, and he's just going at it, but he can't get too far because the wire's holding him back. And, and this little kid grabbed his mom and said, what happens if he gets off the leash? You know, <laughs> I feel like that up here. Look, look, look at all that chaos going on there. Oh, we're going to have to have an acoustic day where we can just be unplugged. It's, it would be great. But we're blessed. I don't want to be like, complaining. We're blessed that we have the things that we have. We're blessed that you're here with us today. I'm Don Jackson, one of the pastors here on staff, the only pastor here on staff. But I'll let you know that we did have a meeting last night. The elders met with our I guess we'd call him a candidate. Uh, him and his wife came over and we had dinner with all the elders and their wives and we interviewed and got to answer all the questions that he had and we asked him a lot of questions. So be in prayer. Uh, this week is the week that we as the elders will determine whether that's the, the fit and uh, we'll see if we're going to extend an invitation. And then that's not a done deal. It's, that's not the biggest part. The biggest part is, is God calling him to move across the state all the way here and join us? That's a big deal. Housing is bad right Right now, uh, sure they can sell their house there, but they've been looking already for months around here just to see what's available, and they're not not too thrilled about what they see as, as far as the housing market. So be in prayer. We just want what God wants. Amen. If it's not for them, then they need to say no and move on, and we start over and start looking again. But we don't want anything to happen that's not God's plan for them or for Oakwood. So we, we can be confident in that. I'm not, I'm not nervous. I'm just anticipating. Lord, what are you going to do here? So be in prayer as a church. That's exciting. And then tonight, uh, before I jump into this book of Ephesians this morning, uh, tonight is our real first start with our student ministries, our 6th through 12th graders. Yeah, 6th through 12th grade. Um, and parents, uh, you should have been getting all my communication. Encourage your kids to come. They need to be here from the get go and, and learn what we're teaching. We are separating the middle school from the high school for the teaching time and the discussion time, so they're not together uh, in that large age span. Uh, sixth graders think about and do things differently than our 12th graders. Our 12th graders are getting ready to go off to college and spread their wings and fly, and sixth graders are still in diapers. I don't know if they're still in diapers. I don't know, but they, they are, they're still young. Uh, they're beautiful, but they're still young. And so, um, parents, I encourage you to encourage your students to come. Uh, take that step. It's a new day here at Oakwood. We're trying to do new things, and we're excited about the opportunity for tonight. I'm excited about it. But we have a Discover Oakwood first, and so if, if you've registered for that, you need to go and then come back because it happens after our second service, like uh, Bruce was explaining today. Um, and if you really want to come today and didn't get that reservation in, talk to one of our staff after this service. We'll let you know if we can fit you in. Um, today, I, I think we have over, I think there's nine guests and then there's elders and pastor and, and wives and stuff. So uh, we've got a good number coming today. But if you want to come and you're available, we'd like to fit you in. Okay. And then Bruce, 
was kind. Uh, my elders don't get up on stage a lot, so they, they try to be as quick as possible. Uh, what he was saying about signing up for Harvest Fest, I'm going to say a little bit more boldly. Uh, he talked about, like, if you have a party and people don't RSVP, it's kind of hard to plan. Listen, y'all are killing us. Uh, last year, we had over 25 cars show up that didn't sign up. So, listen, when we do the trunk or treat, we plan, like, what? We actually plan, and we have the exact amount of car spaces that have signed up so it's comfortable so that people, you know, can just go around the thing so we don't have empty spots and stuff. When 25 cars show up that didn't sign up, we are in trouble. We actually, uh, it worked out last year, but barely, uh, that we squeezed people in and around. So just, you know what you got to do? <clears throat> Come on now. I was a youth pastor for 25 years. I know you're like, I don't know if we should sign up because something might pop up we want to do better. So we'll wait. We'll wait. Don't wait. The Lord speaketh from on high and said, thou shalt not wait. Thou shalt sign up ahead of time and then nothing else can interrupt that. Just commit, all right? Are we afraid of commitment, people? We can just commit. Commit to it uh, and, and sign up for the trunk or tree part. And the what's the so that? I got to keep going over this. Every once in a while I hear somebody saying, ah, the harvest fest, I don't like that. Harvest Festival hits every check mark that a pastor gets excited about. Number one, it's for our community, and it's for young families with children. We want our young families in our community to know that Oakwood loves them and cares for them, and we want to do something with them. So not only is it an outreach where we're getting out of these four walls and doing something out in our community, but it's the number one activity that Oakwood does that people get involved in. Pastor's heart is thrilled of how many Oakwood people show up and serve. It is, it is such a good event that we serve our community and that you all participate. It's a double blessing, a double whammy as far as that goes. And so we're keeping it simple this year. There's no program. There's nothing happening here inside. It's simply start at 3.30. We're done by 5.30 or something, Bruce. I don't know where you went. Um, something like that. I don't know. But um, uh, it's it just trunk or treat. And we'll have the kids' zoo and the hayride, but we all participate in the trunk or treat. You decorate your trunks, maybe you play a game or something that the kids can play. Make it a great day for families. That's what it's all about. Mount Candy has begun to grow in my office. It's just about that high, right? It needs to be about this high. And uh, we've got, what, three or four weeks. I see all the candies out everywhere, and I know you're going to have to take a loan, maybe uh, sell your cabin up north. Uh, but but we need candy. We grow Mount Candy so that we can uh, make sure we're covering that. It takes quite a bit. So thank you. I, pr- I appreciate you as a church. I mean, I couldn't be more excited uh, to be your pastor after last week. You had, I think we decided it was 10 days to do the draw outreach thing. Uh, we announced it by mail and then had a Sunday where I explained it. Then you had one week the next Sunday to pull that off. Over a hundred buckets full of all those cleaning supplies. And you guys nailed it. I'm talking, we not only hit our goal, we soared above the goal. We literally delivered 120, 120 buckets and lids. And you brought a ton of stuff. And then plus on top of that, what was it? $4,700 came in for draw. Friends, I'm thrilled with you. It was fun to drive the trailer to draw and open it up and have, uh, um, with Doug, is it Doug Martin? Greg Martin, have Greg Martin almost in tears. And uh, there was volunteers that day. I was so happy there were volunteers to empty the trailer. And so they, I opened the trailer and just one guy says, 
who are you and where are you from? I'm like, I'm just a guy at Oakwood Community Church. And the church did this in less than 10 days. Uh, we heard there was a need. We stepped up. We set a goal. We crashed through that goal. And they were like, that's incredible. And I'm like, you know what? You guys are incredible. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. And you know what? It's a great thing at Oakwood that we aren't selfish or stingy. There's a lot of things we need to do. I mean, that parking lot's not going to change itself. The uh, service park needs to get started. We got some work that we've got to do around here. Most pastors would probably be nervous about doing something for another ministry, but boy, this church, we respond. When there's a need, we meet the need. See a need, meet a need. Say it with me. See a need, meet a need. Say it again. See a need, meet a need. And if we have to wait a little longer to get things accomplished, that's okay, because we're part of a big family. We're a great family at Oakwood, but we're part of the big family of God. Amen? Oh, I just thank you. Thank you, and I love you for what you do. We are in Ephesians, and we covered the blessings chapter. I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. Got this heartbeat in my chest. Uh, on my best day, I'm a child of God. On my worst day, I'm a child of God. I am so blessed. Everybody say that with me. I am so blessed. We learned that last week, all the blessings we have in Christ. Paul continues now today with a prayer for the people. You know, I think he loves the people kind of like this pastor loves this people. Uh, You're going to hear that in in his prayer for the people today. So let's pray it in. You can meet me in Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, we will wrap up chapter 1 today. But let's pray it in. Would you say this prayer? There's nothing you need to say out loud, but if you could just in your heart say, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, I pray that you would be glorified, that everyone hearing this message would be edified, and we pray that Satan would be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the big idea for today... The power, people, and preeminence of God. We've got the three Ps. Are we good for that? The three Ps. The power, the people, the preeminence of God. And like I said, this is a prayer. Paul says it's a prayer. Um, and, and he prays for the people. And what do you pray for the church? As a pastor, I pray for you. I think about you during the week. What are you going through? This past week, I've been praying for those in the auto industry. Maybe you're, you're on strike. Maybe you're going to face some difficult times financially. I, I just pray as I think of you as a people. What are you going through? And you need to know that Paul loves these people. He actually spent years pastoring this church in Ephesus. He knows these people. Let me read the, the context, and we'll talk a little bit about it today. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. 
far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul prays for the people. He cares for the people. He lets them know how much he loves them. And by the way, last week's passage and this week's passage is why people call Paul a pleonist. Pleonism, do you know what that means? You're going to learn something today. Pleonism means, and you're going to find out that your pastor is probably a pleonist too, using many words to make a brief statement. Yeah, most pastors are pleonist. Paul is a pleonist. Last week was actually a one-sentence thought. Paul is the master at run-on sentences. Uh, he, he's one of those people. Have you ever been with somebody who finishes every, word, every sentence with the word and? La, 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 la. And? La, 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 la. And? Ah. They barely get a breath because they want to keep going. They never finish. Paul, last week, had one long sentence. And this week, it's one long sentence again. It's a prayer that he just keeps going and talking and talking. We don't have it here as much, but, but I grew up in a church where there was some kind of a value in praying really long. Elders would get up to pray and it would be like, seriously? Have you ever been to dinner and, and somebody prays and you're like, the food's getting cold. I mean, I, I would go over to the Briggs house in Battle Creek if you're watching Nellie and Walt. I love Nellie and Walt, but Walt was a quiet man until he prayed. And it was at least going to be five or seven minutes. I'm thinking, I mean, the potatoes are right there. I mean, I'm hungry. And, and he's like, Lord, you know, instead of you know, rubbing a dub, thanks for the grub, yay God. It, it's like, you know, or Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies, right? Something simple. No, no, it's Lord. Uh, and then he goes over the whole sermon that we just heard that day, you know, point by point. And then he gives like an invitation and then, and then he starts talking about all the things and all the people. I'm like, do you ever pray except for at lunch on Sunday? You got to get it all in. It, it, it goes forever. So I don't want you to be feeling like that today. Your, your lunch is coming. You're going to get there. But we need to take a look at this prayer of Paul for the people. He loves these people. He, he is thankful for these people. So in our context, we learn a couple of things. What would Paul pray for me? I'm going to internalize it today. I'm going to try to use that personal pronouns today. What's Paul's prayer for me? It's interesting that the main thing that Paul's prays for is that the people may know God. I mean, I can think of a lot of other things to pray for for people. I mean, they're in Ephesus. Ephesus is kind of rough. It was known as one of the, it had the largest temple to our Armidas, uh, the god Armidas. And it's actually one of the seven wonders of the world, I believe. It's a huge temple, right? And there was this worshiping of false gods, which included witchcraft. Sorcery was happening. And I you guys remember, you need to read the book of Acts while you're reading through Ephesians and Romans. Because in Acts, you kind of get the timeline. It's in Ephesus where the Christian people went to cast out a demon. Because it was so steeped in demonic power in Ephesus. Do you remember that story? It's, a, it's one of my favorite stories. These people 
well-meaning, went to cast out a demon, and they invoked the name of Jesus and Paul. By the name of Jesus, in the name of Paul the Apostle, we cast you out. And the demon said this, Jesus we know, and Paul we know. Who do you think you are? And at that, the next thing we hear is they run out naked and beat up. (laughs) They got whooped. These are the people in Ephesus. I think I would spend some time praying that they're safe, that they're financially stable. There's a lot of things that you would think of, but I love what Paul does, and it makes me, as a pastor, think about what I should be praying for you. Paul's prayer for you is my prayer for you, that you may know God. And that word know is a lot more involved than you might think. I'm not talking about knowing about God. I'm talking about knowing God. You might have heard this many times. Many pastors use this, but the distance between heaven and hell is about eight inches. It's the distance from here to here. You can have all the knowledge in your head, but if it doesn't travel to your heart, you miss it. Do you remember what we hear that God says in heaven at the judgment? He doesn't say, depart from me, you didn't know me enough. He says, depart from me, I never knew you. So this knowledge of God shouldn't just be Sunday school kind of knowledge about things. It's knowing God, right? It's, it's actually knowing in a relationship. That's Paul's prayer. He then says, that I may have hope. Hope is a big deal. We talk about that quite a bit here at, at Oakwood. At Christmas time, one of the four things at Advent, we talk about love, joy, peace, and hope. Hope is huge. That's why God sent Jesus into the world to give us this hope. And Paul says, I pray that you may know God, really know him, and that you may know the hope that you have. Oh, it's, it's good to understand the hope we have because of Jesus. Do you know that hope? Another thing that he prays is that we may grasp God's power. And we're going to land there a little bit today. Understanding the power of God, who he is. What do we have as his children? How can we live in this world that's totally anti-Christian, totally anti where we, where we believe and where we're heading and they're going the opposite direction and they're militant about it. Hearing disturbing things this week that breaks my heart about churches that are stop proclaiming truth and capitulating to what the world wants us to be. And it breaks my heart. I don't know if churches and pastors are afraid that they'll lose people, you know, if they don't capitulate to the standards the world has. I I don't know. But I believe in the power of God. And God will take care of that. I just need to preach the word. And and you, you, I guess you make a choice, don't you? I don't want to go to a church that preaches the word. I want to go to a a church that makes everything smooth and easy for everybody. I mean, no, I'm sorry, but the word of God points out absolute truth. An absolute truth, you know what the difference between a truth and an absolute truth is? I mean, the truth is Gino's East Pizza is the best pizza in the world. That's the truth. But it's not an absolute truth. See, I know the difference. That's true. And if you don't agree, you're wrong. But you can have your own opinion But an absolute truth is different than an opinion. I'm joking about that, you know. An absolute, absolute truth is what's true for all people at all times and all locations. That's an absolute truth. 
Something that's true for all people at all times in every location. That's an absolute truth. And we need to preach absolute truth. We can't be afraid of what the world would do or what people want. No, we got to trust in the power of God. And we're going to talk about his power today. And that's what Paul prayed. So let's talk about God's power. And Jesus' position, by the way, you're going to find that what Paul says here about God's power is all rooted in the fact of who Jesus is, right? So we're going to talk about God's power, Jesus' position. What does he say in verse 19? It's an incomparable power. Everybody say incomparable. Nothing can compare to the power of God. You need to know that today. And I mean know like Paul prayed that they might know God, truly know him and then know his power. It's an incomparable power. In verse 19 alone, I love Paul. Paul uses every Greek word possible for the word power. In one verse, take a look at it, you'll see it there. He uses, it's almost as if Paul whipped out the Greek uh, thesaurus and said, power, what is it? And and while he's praying, he's bringing up all these types of power to talk about the power of God because he's trying to say God's power is greater than any kind of power. He talks about the dunamis power, where we get the word dynamite. He talks about the inigritus power, which we get the word energy. And then he talks about kratos and ikus, which are human strength, mighty and strong. He uses every possible word for God's power. Why? He's trying to say it's incomparable. It's incomparable. That's the power of God. And then he goes further. He said it's the same power that rose Jesus from the, from the grave. It's resurrection power. Everybody say resurrection power. Resurrection power. I mean, that's, that was the greatest act of all time. That God raised his son from death to life. That Jesus died for our sins. He became sin for us. He didn't just put on sin for a moment. He became all of Don Jackson's sinfulness. He became all of your sinfulness. And he died on the cross. He didn't swoon and faint and come revived. No, he died, was taken down to the cross and was buried and then rose again three days later. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. The same power. And Paul says, I pray they understand this. That's why he had to say, it's dynamite. It's energy. It's mighty strength. He's trying to let the people know God's power is supreme. But not only this, he does something great there. In verse 20, he starts talking about resurrection power, but then he adds something we might forget, ascension power. Not only did Jesus rise from the dead, to life, but then God raised him to the heavenly places. And that's an important part to understand. It's not just that Jesus rose from the dead, but God then lifted him to the highest place. Don't forget how important it is in scripture when the Bible says, and and when Jesus was ascended to heaven, he immediately sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, God raised him from the dead, then brought him to heaven where he sat down. And that's huge because in the Old Testament, in the, the priest, that's what the priest would do. The priest's job was to uh, go in to the Holy of Holies and present sacrifices and then declare forgiveness for the people. But it's, there's millions of people. And he's going into this tent type structure. And how are we going to know that it worked? How are we going to know everything's okay? Remember how the priest used to wear bells? 
on the end of their robe because if you enter the Holy of Holies with sin, you would be struck high priest. So the bells were so that you could hear him. You know, you're listening inside. How's the priest doing? Is he getting it done? Is he getting the job done? As he tinkled, tinkled, tinkled all the way. And then if he was struck dead, they couldn't go in and get him. So they would pull him out with the rope. Oh, this is a quite a, this is quite a scene. Can you imagine a million people hoping and praying that the sacrifice works, that the priest does his job? And then how are we going to know? Well, the, the, we know from history that when the priest went into the Holy of Holies and performed the duties, he would come out and he would sit down. He would sit down signifying it is finished. It is complete. It worked. <laughs> Guys, when, when Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't just a risen savior. He was an ascended savior because God brought him to the heavenly realms where he sat down. Why? Because it worked it worked. His sacrifice was not only sufficient, it was one for all times. It was the one and only permanent. Remember, the priest had to do this every year. Every year they had to go into Holy of Holies. Not any longer. When the priest would sit down, he had to know, phew. And then he started counting till the next time he had to go in. <laughs> I'm going to have to do this again. No, no. When Jesus died and he rose ascended to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and it was finished, complete, done, once for all, it worked. Everybody say it worked. Oh, it worked. And that's the power Paul's talking about. Not just resurrection power, but ascension power. This is, boy, is he going, no wonder why he has a run-on sentence. He's talking about the power of God. And that brings us to his preeminence. It's a preeminent power. Let me, let me do some work on that. Let's look at it. So starting in verse um, 20, toward or the end of 19, that power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And then, here's the preeminent. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet. He's preeminent. He's supreme. There is no power. Why is this important for the people to know? Listen, they're in Ephesus. And there's devil worshiping happening. And they're, they're going into the temple of Armatus. And, and these people were struggling to give all that up. And they weren't so sure Hey, have you ever looked into voodoo? Have you ever heard about voodoo? Voodoo is incredible because it's, it's, it's a lot of Catholicism with a lot of weird, crazy stuff going on. Animal sacrifices and some weird things going on. And it's a mix because the people were so steeped in black magic that when they heard about Jesus, they thought, we want that too. And so they took Jesus and Christianity and they kept the other stuff. It's like, well, we don't want to, what if we give up this power and this power is more important? We want both power. No. Friend, this is what Paul is saying. This is why Paul is praying for the people in Ephesus. He wants them to know God and his mighty preeminent power. Why? Because you can put away that dark magic. You can put away devil worship. He has no dominion over Christ. Amen? 
He has no authority over Christ. And you need to know that today. Remember, Paul just said today and the age to come, he included you in this prayer. You are included in Paul's prayer today. He prayed for you. You're the age to come. And he's saying, know God and know his power and know that that power isn't shared. (laughs) It is preeminent power. It's resurrection, ascension power that overcomes all things. Do you believe in resurrection power in your life? Are you praying for dead things to come to life? What about relationships in your family? Have you given up and say there's no hope? You can never have that answer with God because with God, all things are possible. He has resurrection power. Your relationship might be dead with your family, but God can restore that. Do you believe it's true? I believe it's true. Do you you believe in resurrection power when you're facing a crisis in your family? You have resurrection power, the power of God in your life. Do you believe in ascension power? Do you believe that God is mighty and on the throne and nothing is better and bigger and more powerful than he is? So you got a boss at work that's a bully. How are you gonna survive that? He's got no power over Christ. God's power is preeminent. Do you have a neighbor that's driving you nuts, that's causing all sorts of problems, and you're frustrated? Do you believe in resurrection power? Do you believe in ascension power? God can do great things. And so we learn to call on him, because when we know him, we know who to go to when the power we're facing seems overwhelming. I found out yesterday that Cass and Colton, little Amelia, little Millie, she was here last week at our worship in the park that ended up worshiping the sanctuary here, worship center, having a great time. But she ended up in the hospital this week with a breathing thing. And she's been in the hospital for a couple of days and they're worried. They had her on oxygen. I just found out last night about this. Uh, Cass wrote me and said, hey, listen, just want to let you know we're at Hurley Hospital. And Melissa had heard and she had told me. And we were gathering last night at our interview and we just stopped the interview and said, we need to pray. And you know what we did? Yeah, we prayed, but you know what we did? We called Cass and Colton, put them on speakerphone (laughs) with all the elders and their wives, and we prayed. Power. You know, part of it is just that I want Cass and Colton to know that God loves them, (laughs) and he does care. And there's no power greater than his. We can be confident of that. I think this is why Paul makes such a big deal out of this prayer. It's why he goes and he he starts saying something and he keeps adding on and adding on and adding. He wants you to know God and then he thought about it. What do they need to know about God? Well, let's talk about his power. And then as he starts talking about his power, he can't control himself. He wants you to know it is the power. Lots of powers come and go and lots of powers fade. That Corvette you own that's in your garage, its power is fading. I'm sorry, you can keep working on it all you want. That home you have on a lake somewhere, it's deteriorating. You didn't even get up and mow the yard this week. What's going on? Grass is going to grow. Weeds are going to grow. You got to go work it. You got to go work it. Why? Everything's fading. Do you ever realize that? Are you you a parent that has kids? Do you remember how much you wanted your kids to believe? You know, uh, little boys tell friends at school, my dad 
is so powerful. My dad can do anything. Well, yeah, well, my dad, right? And you, that's great at that age. And then, you know, they become teenagers and then they hate you. You know, <laughs> that's, <laughs> I, I heard somebody online this week talking about Satan. The Bible never tells us what age Satan was when he was kicked out of heaven. And it was rebellion, right? It was rebellion. He had to be 16. I think Satan got his license. And then, you know, we know from the song that he went down to Georgia and, and he got kicked out of heaven. I mean, it had to be, he had to be a teenager, but when they're young, no, when they're young, they think you have all the power. My dad can do anything. And then as parents, we know it's not true, but we want them to think that. You've heard me tell this story before, but I'm not, I'm from Chicago. We didn't hunt or fish. You know, if we went hunting, it was usually like, give me my money, fool. You know, we, we, didn't, we didn't go into the woods or anything. And so I didn't grow up doing these kind of things. We didn't do those. And then, um, you know, Julie's been trying to make me a Michigander. And uh, I try. I, I, I fish a little bit. But I, I was always afraid to touch the fish. Uh, they're slimy, they're gross, and, and, and I have a root cause. You, there's always something that happened way back. I remember being a little boy playing in my front yard. We were playing a hot potato or something like that in the front yard. All these boys in the neighborhood were playing, and the guy across the street came home from a bass fishing tournament. He had a big bass boat, and he was so excited. He pulled into his driveway with his boat, and he yelled, boys, come over here, you gotta see this. And so we all went to the boat, and he reached into the cooler, and he pulls out this gigantic bass, this big bass thing. And he's holding it up and he's so proud of it. But I noticed his hand was swollen about the size of a volleyball. That's all I can see. And I'm like, what happened? He goes, oh, it got me. It got me. And I thought, what? Fish can get you and swallow your hand like a volleyball? So as a little boy, I grew up, I was afraid. I'm afraid. I hate to admit it. I know that you're going to, you know, I don't know how much lower your opinion could go of your pastor, but here it goes. Hey, I'd catch little sunfish, you know, and I'd be like, ah. And so when Josh was a little boy, you know, he didn't know, but I went and bought a glove. I bought a, a rubber glove and I put it in my tackle box. So when I catch a fish, I would just put the glove on, right? And then I'd bring the fish and I could, I would touch it with the rubber glove, you know? <laughs> As Josh got older, dad's still thinking that Josh thinks his dad can do anything. I, I, I still think that he still believes that his dad, my dad's bigger than your dad. My dad can do anything. And we were fishing on the lake with Julie's cousin. Now, Julie's cousin grew up in Michigan, up north, and he hunts and fishes. He catches the fish, kisses the fish on the mouth. I mean, he, he's, he's up and involved in all this kind of stuff. And, and he's catching, you know, he'll catch 20 fish. And I reel in one, you know, and, and, and we're with him one day and we're fishing. Josh is getting about nine or 10 years old. And I still think he thinks his dad is the biggest, baddest thing on the planet, right? And I remember I got this fish, or no, Josh did. He caught a fish. He caught it and he's reeling it in. He's reeling it in. We get it to shore and it's a pretty big fish. And he brings it in and he gets close to me. And he whispered, that's what got me. He whispered, he said, dad, go get your glove. <laughs> and I realized I'd lost that. My dad can do anything. I lost that. At some point, Josh knew my dad doesn't touch fish. And when he whispered, <laughs> he didn't want them to, it was embarrassing. I vowed, by the way, to be tougher. 
And I touch fish now with my bare hands. I do, I do, I do. I do because I couldn't stand that, that my son would think that his dad was afraid, right? But the truth is we are. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, we are frail. And power fades here. That's why Paul said, I need you to grasp something. Remember the word he used? I got you. You got to grasp. Here's my prayer for you. It's not that you would be safe. It's not that you'd be happy. I'm going to pray for you. Not that you'd be financially safe. No, I'm going to pray that you know God. Really know him and know his power because his power never fades. Amen? The power of God doesn't diminish. We as his children aren't going to get to a spot where we're like, oh, oh, we have a God, but go get your glove. Go get your glove. You know, I, I, I understand how funny this story is, but those words make me shiver. Go get your glove. It just screams weakness. And Paul was trying to let us know that we've got a God that we can count in, absolute count in. So here's our our challenge to consider. He ends by saying, not only is he preeminent, all things are under his feet. He's appointed to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. It ends with this whole idea that Christ, who is the ultimate authority and power over all things, even over Satan. That's why Paul said over any name that's given or over any dominion. Paul's letting us know it's Christ. But Christ is also the head of the church and we are his body, which I love that thought. So the body of Christ should do what Christ did in his body. Do I need to say that one more time? The body of Christ, us, we need to do then, if we're gonna be the body of Christ, we should be doing what Christ did when he was in the body. So we should see, well, what would Christ do? If we're his body, what should we be involved in? Number one, show up. God showed up in Bethlehem. It was prophesied and God sent Jesus and he showed up here. And then he had a habit of showing up for 33 and a half years. He showed up in people's lives. What else did he do? He touched the untouchables. We know that as Jesus walked, he would show up in people's lives and the people who were untouchable with leprosy or or many diseases, he would touch them. People that were rejected, he would touch them. We need to be touching the untouchables. What about caring for those who are suffering? Remember how the Bible always talks about Jesus? He saw them and he had compassion on them. That's Jesus. He showed up. He touched the untouchables. He cared for those who were suffering. And then we need to die to self because that's what Jesus did. Philippians, we we get the whole thing in Philippians about what Jesus did by laying down everything that he had in the heavenly realms to come here. He had to die to self, humble. So we need to die to self to be the body of Christ. And then he sacrificed to put others first. We need to be sacrificing to put others first. That's what I talk about draw today. Draw had a need. Could we have done something with all those things we raised? All that support in one week? Could we have done? Yeah, we could have done something. But I'm glad that we put others first. It's okay for us to say, you know what? We're trying to do something at Oakwood. We'll get there. But we can do something to help this. That's, that's as a church we learn to die to self. We learn to sacrifice to put others first. 
That's what the church needs to be. Are we doing this, church? Are we showing up, touching the untouchables, caring for the suffering, dying to self, and sacrificing to put others first? That's what Christ did. So we're called to a new way of living. We are to know God, grasp his power, and have hope. If you look at Paul's prayer, I'm a Pleiadist, so I said a lot of words in between. I could have just said this. This is Paul's prayer. Know God, grasp his power, have hope. Do you have it? I mean, if you leave today and you have no hope, you weren't listening. Resurrection power, ascension power, preeminent power. Of course there's hope. So we're called to live that way. We're called to be the body of Christ in this world. We ought to think about that tangibly. We are his hands and feet. Since he ascended and went to heaven, we are his hands and feet. And he sent us, remember, he sent us to the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and teaching them all things. We need to be the body of Christ in this world. And we are to go in the preeminent power of Jesus. We don't have to go afraid. You don't need to go get your glove. Put your glove away. We're to go in the preeminent power of Jesus. I'm gonna ask um, Meg and Ann to join me on stage just for a second. I appreciate them being so willing to play along with the pastor. So I've been preparing this message all week, thinking about it, reading it, reading it, and reading it. And for some reason, one of those old songs kept popping up in my mind, talking about power. There's probably a lot of songs about power, right? There's power, power, wonder working. That's a good one. But for some reason, this song kept, and even last night as I was rereading my notes, I'm in the kitchen at, at 1030 last night, and I just kept singing this song. And then I thought, well, maybe I need to sing it to you. Do you mind if I sing for you today? Good news is Anne will help me, okay? You might know this. You might know this. You might have heard it. It's a great song. Well, it- 
message to praise God, right? Uh, we started with the blessings and the, then we got this prayer from Paul and it should lead us to the point of praise. Give me the note there, Meg, if you would. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here pray they would know you, God, in Jesus' name.